often talk to clients about how grief happens to us, right? It's not within our control. It's not like you can say, huh. okay, I'm good today because I got, you know, or I'm going to grieve today because tomorrow I have a, a really important meeting, right? You can't choose when you're going to cry. Like you said, you can't choose when you're going to fall apart. You can't choose when you're going to feel anger or when you're going to feel regret, right? Like those things happen to mm-hmm. us. And so you have to understand that you're kind of on the ride of grief and um, allow yourself to be on that ride, you know, and that is not an easy thing to do. I'm not saying, oh, just, you know, choose and you're, you're good, right? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. going to require some work of you, but it is something that happens to us. Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After. I am your host, Stacey Francis, coming to you every other week with the information you need to know to make good decisions both during and after your divorce. Many times we talk about the, well, nuts and bolts of divorce when it comes to finance. But today we're going to be talking about something a little different, grief, loss, and major change. Our guest today, Nezri Namad, explains that 90 to 95% of individuals going through divorce experience grief. And often we are not aware that the issues, the feelings we have are stemming from deep-seated grief. And Nazarene explains that whether you initiated the divorce or not, we all experience this. Because grief is the end of a familiar pattern or behavior, even if it's something that we do want. And while grief can be hard to recognize during divorce, it's real. And Nazreen explains throughout the program today how you can master grief as much as you can, how you can weather the storm. And make sure that you stay to the end. Nazreen shares with us about a client that she recently worked with and how they were able to collaborate and work together through her divorce, helping her to be able to deal with the mental load, with changes, with responsibilities, becoming a single mom, balancing work, kids and household, everything in between, and also a difficult ex-spouse. She offers fantastic tools, worksheets, and exercises that we can all use to help us move through these difficult times, be there for ourselves, and also be able to be there for our kids if we do have children. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our special guest, Nazreen Ahmed, who is a professional certified coach and specialist in serving individuals dealing with grief, loss, and major change. Nazreen, it's so nice to have you here. And I have so many questions for you about grief. 
And um, so anyways, before we, we do that, I would just love to, again, say a great big welcome. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you do as a grief coach, because I know that the majority of our listeners probably have not heard that before, and it might be a foreign concept for them, you know, especially if they have not really dealt with grief in the same way that they are right now. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm just thrilled to be here and such a big fan of you and of Francis Financial. So great to be here today. So as a grief coach, and I think what people don't understand is that grief coaching, um, even though it's about grief, is still meant to help you move forward, right? So a lot of times, if you go to a therapist while you're dealing with grief, it's because you're really stuck in your grief. You might be experiencing complex grief and really struggling just for your day-to-day um, living, right? And then if you see a counselor, you might be really needing some some support in the moment with the grief that you're dealing with. Um, my job is to come in and to help you give you tools and resources and a way to move through your grief so that you feel like you're making more progress and you're able to move forward, right? So there's a sort of a step-by-step methodology that I use and that really helps people um, feel like from week to week, they're able to make some progress. You know, a lot of us don't do grief very well. And, um, what I love about coaching is that it, you know, it helps you actually do something with all of the emotion that you're feeling with all the upset that you're feeling. So mm-hmm. it's definitely more proactive and it's more focused than you might get with counseling or therapy. Yeah. I love that you bring that up. I am one of those people where I've tended to work more so with coaches than therapists. And I have worked with therapists on certain pieces um, in my life that I needed, but I love coaching because I love the idea of, of moving forward. And many people don't think or, or really talk about grief when they're going through divorce. You hear it when, you know, someone becomes suddenly a, a widow or maybe not so suddenly. And it was a long-term illness, but Mm -hmm. that grief and the stages of grief that we talk about um, and and what that process is, I've never heard someone talk about it related to divorce. Is there grief and divorce? And if so, what does that look like? I'm trying not to like feel exasperated right now because, (laughs) oh my God, there's so much grief and divorce. Yeah. Oh, of course. Like, I think first we have to define grief right? Because it's not just about losing a loved one. It's not about just death, right? It takes place because of so many different events in life, right? Including divorce, including a lot of financial issues, including being displaced, including moving, including finding a new job, including becoming a mother or a father, right? Mm -hmm. So there's so many different things that cause grief in life. And I think it's really unfortunate that we, as a society, define grief as the loss of a life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So absolutely, absolutely. There's so much grief within divorce. And I think we really need to start talking about that because you are severing, you know, you are losing a relationship, you are cutting ties. And while it might be incredibly healthy for you to cut ties with that person, there's still a sense of loss, right? You're still losing someone who was, you know, one of your main people, right? Whether yeah. he was, a, yeah. he or she was a problem, they were still one of your main people. Right. And then you're also figuring out who you are now. 
right? You may have gotten married two years ago. You may have gotten married 25 years ago. It doesn't matter. You are still now a new person, right? And the, mm-hmm. the process of divorce requires you to become a new person. And then you still have your kids to worry about if you did have children with that person. So, I mean, there's so many different layers of grief that happen. And often divorce is a process that takes time, right? You're not usually done just like that. It's going to be an an evolving thing. And so there's multiple forms of grief that happen throughout that process, right? Mm -hmm. As you continue to separate further and further, and it might become, you know, more and more acrimonious. It might become more and more um, difficult to um, maintain your cool, let's say, Mm -hmm. right? With the, the person that you're dealing with. And so... You know, I think there's um, a lot of grief and people don't always recognize it as grief or they don't always yeah. define it yeah. as grief. So really happy to be able to share about this today for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I'm really glad you bring that up because grief, I think, is hard, harder to recognize in a divorce. And tell me more about that. Is it because we have the definition of grief wrong? Like, I think of grief as crying all the time and being sad. But there are so many other aspects to grief that I feel like make it more difficult to realize that, oh my God, that's what I'm dealing with. I mean, I'm dealing with grief and it might be anger, it might be anxiety, it might be all these other things. Can you talk to all the different ways that grief can present itself? I can definitely try, but because there are so many different ways, right? It's going to be hard for me to encapsulate all of them. But let me just start by the basic definition of grief, which is the change or end of a familiar pattern of behavior. Um, And it's the the natural and and normal reaction that we all have. And like you said, has an array of emotions attached to it, right? So it is going to be about sadness, but it's also going to be about anger. It's going to be a lot of guilt, maybe some regret in there, some shame a lot of blaming, right? There's always the, I did, he did, she did, you know, there's always a lot of blame and a lot of sort of taking stock of what was, you know, analyzing again and again, over and over and sort of questioning everything we've done, you know, all the choices we made, how we couldn't, you know, why didn't we notice this? Why didn't we see that? Oh, there was that red flag. I should have, you know, so there's a lot of like kind of should have, would have, could have, there's a lot of if onlys, like if only this had been different, if only I had made a better choice, if only I had noticed this sooner, if only, you know. So there's a lot of different ways that grief can um, appear within someone. And you could also feel completely numb for a while, right? Like there's a lot of shock that happens and sort of a numbness because your your body is protecting itself. It's protecting you from the the depth of emotion that you might be feeling. Right. Or might be waiting for you. So, you know, it can it can look like a variety of different things. But I think it's, you know, safe to say probably 90 to 95 people who are going through a divorce are experiencing some form of grief. Again, kind of vary from person to person in terms of how intense their grief is and how it's showing up for them. But, um, you know, it's very unusual that I've spoken with somebody who isn't experiencing grief when they're going through a divorce. Yeah. and. I think part of it too is that there are certain people, particularly if, if you were the one to initiate the divorce, that you, we almost have a judgment of ourselves that we shouldn't feel grief. We're the ones who made this, made this decision. But I I love your definition that you use about grief, that it's an end of a familiar pattern of behavior. 
that makes it so much more understandable. And, and it is, even if it's a pattern that you don't want in your life, it is the end of it. And, you know, for every single person who has been married, at one point in that relationship, you had a bond with this person. Maybe not the ideal bond, but there was something that you saw in them. Was it hope or possibility of who they could be or who they were at that time that created that that bond and that commitment to to be with this person for the rest of your life? And there's a grief of losing that dream, that losing that hope that you had of building a life together with this person and coming to cope and and to deal with that is really hard, Mm -hmm. really hard. So well said, you know, I talk a lot about the hope streams and expectations that are unmet as a result of divorce, as a result of loss, right? I mean, we all have in our minds a certain expectation of what what our lives are going to look like with this person right? What our lives could look like for this person. What, what, like you said, the hopes and dreams that we have for our future with this person. And that obviously goes away with the divorce, you know, and some of the grief around that might be happening even during the marriage before the divorce actually happens. Um, but it's still very present for us um, as we're going through the divorce. And as we're seeing, again, that severing of ties where it's like, this is no longer an option. This is no longer a possibility. And it's very heavy. It's very hard to deal with that. Yeah, it's interesting. I've seen with myself um, in dealing with grief of different different parts of my life. When my mom passed away, I couldn't stop crying. And that was, for me, it was very, very apparent that I was dealing with grief. And recently I had a flood and, you know, we lost almost all of our furniture and a lot of our possessions were all, were all safe, which is the most important but it was interesting because I knew I was going through grief, but I couldn't cry. I couldn't cry. And the only time I found myself crying in the last month was when I had misscheduled my daughter to do something special. And it, I picked the wrong date. I thought I picked the right date and she couldn't do it after all. And I just lost it because I realized that something she was really looking forward to, I'd screwed up on. But it was really interesting because there are times when we deal with grief in different ways, even ourselves. And I almost wish I could cry because I feel like it would make me feel better in some ways. But when you're going through a divorce, sometimes you just can't. And sometimes you're crying all the time. Are you losing your mind? Like, are all of these things healthy? Right. And then the question on that is, if you have children, what do you let them see or not see too? Yeah, you know, there's there's so many different ways that we grieve, right? And and like you said, each grieving experience is going to be different. So if you go through one grief at one point in your life and you go through another grief at a different point in your life, it's going to be a very different experience. It just mm-hmm. is. I often talk to clients about how grief happens to us right? It's not within our control. It's not like you can say, okay, I'm good today because I got, you know, or I'm going to grieve today because tomorrow I have a a really important meeting, right? You can't choose when you're going to cry. 
Like you said, you can't choose when you're going to fall apart. You can't choose when you're going to feel anger or when you're going to feel regret, right? Like those things happen to Mm -hmm. us. And so you have to understand that you're kind of on the ride of grief and um, allow yourself to be on that ride, you know, and that is not an easy thing to do. I'm not saying, oh, just, you know, choose and you're, you're good, right? Like it's, it's Mm going to require some work of you, but it is something that happens to us. And the, Um, work that I do with clients is to help them see how they can start to master it as much as they can, right? Mm -hmm. And start to weather Mm -hmm. the storms as much as they can. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I think Mm -hmm. it's really important. It's a a really important question to talk about in terms of children. Um, Mm -hmm. So I should definitely preface this answer by saying, you know, it depends on the child, on their age, on their circumstances, how they're handling the divorce. You know, there's a lot of different layers that go into this question. So take it with a grain of salt. You know, I hope all your listeners trust in themselves that they know that they can make the best choice for themselves and their kids. Um, but I think kids are very perceptive, right? They, they, I mean, their whole life is about following, figuring out, studying their parents so that they they feel that sense of safety and they feel that sense of, okay, I, I can survive, right? I've got my parents and they're going to be okay. And so I actually was speaking with somebody about this a few weeks ago because she has young children. She got, she lost her mother and she has young children and crying in front of her daughter has become an issue because her daughter wants to constantly make her feel better. Mommy, don't cry. Mommy, let me show you this. Mommy, you know, let's play a game. You know, let's do something so we can kind of take your mind off, right? Um, And we had to have a a serious conversation about, you know, what is appropriate for her daughter at this age, you know, at, at this stage in her daughter's life. And we really talked about what it means to model being okay while also being upset, right? That it's okay to not feel great. It's okay to be sad, right? It, yeah. It's okay that mommy's going to be sad right now. doesn't mean mommy's going to be sad forever. doesn't mean mommy's going to go away or anything's going to happen to mommy, right? But it's okay to have these conflicting emotions. You know, it's okay to be grateful that you're with your daughter, this beautiful creature, and still feel incredibly heartbroken that your mother isn't around to see her as well, right? Yeah. So what does it mean for us to be able to model being, you know, in grief and still be functional and still be okay. Yeah. You know, and I love how you talk about modeling grief because for children, especially, um, it may be their first time dealing with grief and going through a divorce with mommy and daddy, you know, or, or mommy or mommy or daddy and daddy, however the family makeup is going separate ways. There's a huge amount of grief with that. And it's so powerful to share. I'm I'm going through grief, but it's not going to be forever because that tells them, oh, I'm not going to feel like this forever then either, mm-hmm. you know, and that that's okay. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, we will move through it together. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you shared that I am just really, really curious about, you talked about, you know, mastering grief as much as possible, kind of weathering the storm and going through the divorce process. There, there are many moments where you you really should not be showing your grief. You you need to keep your crap together. Could be you're in front of a judge. It could be you're having a conversation with your soon to be ex about the children. There are many times when you just really have to kind of pull it together. And when the whole world, <laughs> it, you, you feel like is 
topsy-turvy up on, you know, upside down and you're angry, you're sad, you're frustrated, you're, you know, all these pieces. Number one, I'd love for there to be some type of pill. But I know Nasreen, there's no pill. So, so since we can't do the pill thing, how do we do this? How do you work with your clients to start to almost I, I maybe build those muscles? I don't know how you would even describe that. You just did. Literally, we start building up new muscles, right? So just like you go to the gym to build your physical muscles, I actually offer clients a six-week program that helps them build some mental muscles. It's called Positive Intelligence. I just got certified earlier this year. Love the program because literally what it does is, you know how most people, most programs, uh, most things you hear when it talks, when you're talking about um, positive mindset or, or mentality, it's you just stop thinking about the negative, right? Just stop judging yourself. Just stop doing this. What I love is that the Positive Intelligence Program gives you um, very simple tools that allow you to build new neural pathways so that you are more positive, you are more um, exploratory and curious about what other possibilities are out there. You're also willing to take action faster. Mm -hmm. And you can, even in the middle of a very difficult conversation, do a very simple exercise that can help bring you back to yourself, help calm you down. Um, so it's a highly effective program and I'm a big proponent of it. And that's one thing that I offer my clients is these very simple exercises they can do even in the middle of a conversation with somebody to help them stay grounded, to help them stay in their more logical mind and be able to respond instead of just react. And what are some of those exercises? Because I feel like I need them even just day-to-day life where you're not thinking you're best. Is it breathing exercises? Is it a mantra? Is it some are breathing exercises, but it's it's as simple as rubbing two fingertips together. Um, but what you're doing when you're rubbing those two fingertips together is actually you're training your brain to really focus on just the ridges. Just focus on the ridges, you know, and feel all the sensations. And then you start rubbing both your hands together, right? And so you start focusing on all the different sensations, the the temperature of your skin, you know, any jewelry that you might be wearing. Um, Make sure you get the palm and the back of your hand too, right? And so you're focusing on a physical sensation. Um, So that's just one. That's that's the textile uh, or tactile, excuse me, um, rep. But then there's also uh, listening where you actually just, sit in a quiet space and you listen for all the sounds around you, right? And to the furthest away sound to the very closest sound you can hear. And these are all exercises that are done um, through an app on your phone. But once you start doing the, the program, you do them so often that after a while, you may not even need the app. So it's a guided, um, very short exercise. But it's also because it's so effective, what you see is even after just a few weeks, these things start to bring you back to yourself and start to calm you down even faster than you normally normally would. Mm-hmm. It sounds like what they do is they really bring you back to you internally. And, you know, I almost think about it. A lot of children with uh, special needs, my, my, my son loves his weighted blanket. He's 15 and he loves his weighted blanket. And I will tell you, it is a very heavy blanket. <laughs> when I make his bed and I'm I'm like, Seb, please get the other side because it's so heavy. But when he goes inside the bed and he has that on him, it's compressing all the parts of his body. And he just, 
calms him down. And I can see that these exercises as well, they're taking you to a place to kind of just come back to center, mm-hmm. come back to center. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the program really talks about your saboteurs, right? Your judge yeah. and your maybe perfectionist, maybe uh, the avoider, right? The pleaser, right? We all have these different saboteurs, but then we also have our sage. And when you think about your sage, you know, I think of it as when you were a little kid, like the childlike qualities within you Uh that kind of stayed forever, right? But you forgot about them. You know, you forgot about those best qualities within yourself, but other people know them very well, right? And so it's kind of reconnecting with those essential parts of you. And again, building up new neural pathways so that you can be more positive and you can start to see yourself differently. You can start to connect with yourself differently. You start to trust yourself again, right? Because I think part of the problem with divorce is that we start questioning all of our choices, right? How did I not see it with this person? How did I allow this to happen with this person? What happened to me, you know, that I was so um, blind to all these different things, right? And we judge ourselves so harshly that we forget that it's okay to trust ourselves, right? We, for, we forget that it's okay to listen to our own intuition and know that we can handle whatever comes. So that's really what it means to build up your sage, to come back to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. To really be able to understand that, yes, you can trust yourself. Yes, you can handle what comes your way. You know, yes, you can be more inventive, you know, and, and more open to possibility. And, you know, it doesn't have to be just sort of this bubble of what I think life is going to be, but it could uh-huh. actually expand and, and be, you know, much different than we expect. And that takes time, you know, that takes practice, yeah. that takes work. That's why I referred to it as going back to the gym, right? It's yeah. like, we need to build up these muscles just like we would if we were going back to the, the physical gym where we would work out our physical muscles. Yeah. One of the things that you said that I'd love to just go back to, you talked about being able to kind of like handle all the things that are coming at you. I mean, one of the things that, I mean, I think we all feel sometimes even throughout the day can be overwhelm. And someone who is going through divorce, I mean, the overwhelm of managing all the details of life now that they're moving towards being, you know, potentially a single parent, living separately, busy schedules, work responsibilities, schools, vet appointments, (laughs) and just, you know, and then of course, like, household food in the house and cooking dinner and all those things. How can someone balance all of these really big responsibilities when they're not feeling their best, that they're not feeling 100%? The first and most important thing to remember is that you're not 100%, -hmm, right? mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like, you know, I often think of divorce and even like uh, widowhood as um, like you're half a pair of scissors. What can you do as a half pair of scissors, right? You're missing that blade. You're missing that other part, Yeah. you know? And so it's about recognizing that you're not at a hundred percent right now. You're not at the same level that you were and that's okay. Right. I mean, why do we think that there are podcasts and attorneys and coaches and counselors and you know so many books there's so much available support groups all these different things specifically for people who are going through a divorce why it is hard it is an incredibly difficult process yeah and so i think we need to just start with being kind to ourselves 
remembering that, yes, we are going through an incredibly challenging time in life, an incredibly challenging experience. And it's about allowing ourselves to be compromised. It's about allowing ourselves to not be at 100%, right? And I know that yeah. that's really like frustrating for a lot of people out there. If you're like me, if you're a hyperachiever and you just want to always do, 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 and do it 100%, and do it perfectly, it's so frustrating to be yeah. able to say, balls are going to drop like you with your daughter. I'm going to yeah. mess up. I'm going to choose the wrong date, right? It's not going to yeah. feel good. Yeah. But giving yourself the space and the compassion, allowing for your humanity is the first step in dealing with overwhelm. It's the first step in dealing with like the fear of so many things up in the air. And what if I miss one? You know, what happens if, right? So definitely just recognizing that we are compromised and allowing yourself to be compromised. Don't try to be the you of two years ago or five years ago or 20 days ago, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to really start with where you're at and um, practice a lot of empathy and compassion for yourself. I love that. And I think that's such good advice for individuals, no matter where they are in their life. And I know we're coming up to time, but can you share, you know, feel free to change names. Any women that you've worked with going through the divorce process, kind of how you helped her? Because that makes it more tangible and understandable of, okay, this is how a grief coach could help me. or you know, if you have a friend going through divorce, do you, do you have any clients that you can think of that you you went through that journey and what that looked like in your coaching relationship? Yes. And I will call her Natalie. Okay. I love that <laughs> um, name. I love name, Natalie. Like Natalie. She's a great client, you know, going through a divorce um, from a very unhealthy marriage. It was a very long marriage. And what we did, you know, we started out meeting weekly for the first few months because she was really struggling in terms of co-parenting or parallel parenting, you know, trying to figure out how to really be able to take care of her daughter while also not liking anything that her soon-to-be ex was was doing, you know, some of the choices mm-hmm. that he was making. So it was a lot of recognizing what was in her control, you know, recognizing what she was choosing to get upset about. But it was also then about how she wanted to talk to her daughter, how she wanted to deal with her daughter, and how she wanted to talk to her soon-to-be ex, right? Again, that idea of being able to respond, right? We have that initial reaction, but then what are the words that actually come out of our mouth? And how can we make sure that those are as productive, as neutral as they need to be so that I can just complete this conversation, right? Or I can, you know, try to get on to the next point. And so, again, we met you know, every single week to kind of discuss a lot of those things. And later on, it became more about, well, who am I now, right? Who am I as a person, as a human, as a woman, a mother, you know, now that I'm not part of this very long-term relationship? And what does it look like, you know, for me to explore new things? What does it look like for me to take myself out on a date? What does it look like for me to want intimacy, want to be touched and, and, you know, and and want to be connected to another human being in that way, you know? And so obviously that took some time, but that was another sort of piece of our relationship and our coaching was trying to figure out who she was now and the kinds of things that she liked now and the kinds of things that she was allowed to do now Mm -hmm. that she wasn't allowed to do before. And we 
also talked a lot about just like the general responsibilities. And like I said, you know, that idea of like not having that person to fill that role, like her husband was no longer there to take out the trash and her husband was no longer there to worry about the finances and her husband was no longer there to, you know, handle the retirement, stuff like that. So there was a lot of just making sure that she had all the different pieces in place, all the different um, people to help her with those things as well. Yeah, to move forward. And it really sounds like, even though you didn't say these words, but very much of a cheerleader too. And just being there to say, you know, you've got this, you've got this. We're going to help you through it. And we're going to develop those skills, develop those tools. And we did a survey, this was probably three years ago, where we interviewed 150 women going through divorce. And what was really interesting the majority of them felt like they didn't have enough support going through divorce. And it shocks me how few worked with a coach or had a therapist, you know, going through probably what has to be one of the most difficult times of their life. And I understand that it can feel very hard to spend money on yourself when money could feel very tight during the divorce, but it's such a good investment to be able to help you recover, help you, you know, move through this. And I can't thank you enough for for being here. And actually, before we go, I'd love for you just to share with our listeners here financially ever after, how do they contact you? What's the best way with, you know, reaching out to you? Do you prefer via email, your website? What works best for you, Nazarene? Definitely uh, check out my website, harborlightcoaching.com. I think that's um, the quickest way you can set up an appointment and we can figure out if I'm a good fit, you know, and figure out what you need. Because like you said, divorce is a incredibly difficult process and it's a long process. So I totally agree, you know, and hope that people will be able to reach out and get the right kind of support for them. And you can also follow me on Instagram at harborlightcoaching.com. Thank you so much, Nazreen. It was so nice to have you here and sharing your insights with us today. And all of you stay for a few minutes. I have a great offer for you to get on top of your finances, a second opinion. But before we do that, I just want to say a great big thank you to you, Nazreen. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining Financially Ever After today. And I sincerely hope that today's podcast inspired you to look inside to better understand the grief that you might be dealing with, the grief that might be inside you, and most importantly, how to overcome this so that you have the ability to rationally think. You have the ability to deal with the stress, both mental, physical, and emotional that so many individuals face during this time. Stress often comes from finances. And if we can help you in any way, get a clearer picture on your finances, where you're going, and what the future will look like, please let us know. Whether it's deciding between settlement A or settlement B, keeping the family home, selling it, starting a business, going back to work, understanding what child support and spousal support you may be eligible and what you need financially, we can help. Please reach out. We're here for you. 
And my email is Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com. You can also visit our website, www.francisfinancial.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And we'll be seeing you in just a mere two weeks. We'll talk to you soon.